It's always sweet to see the kids heading out and even sweeter to see them coming back. So um, we're thankful for the Lord's bringing the kids. Um, starting today and, uh, and continuing next week, we're going to take a bit of a, a pause from our time in John. Um, we are taking a couple of weeks to look both to the call to be faithful stewards and, uh, and, and to the Lord's wisdom in terms of leadership in the church, both topics that we're going to talk about in our congregational meeting next week. Um, but today, as we consider stewardship, we're going to look to what may seem like a surprising text for you, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37. Uh, this parable draws out for us a call to generosity. You may recall in our vision plan, when we look at, uh, at our, our, our stewarding, our stewardship, we we describe this desired movement in our culture from one marked by obligation to one marked by generosity. Obligation at its core is sort of a paying dues mentality. Generosity, on the other hand, is, is living with a heart of gratitude to our good and, and gracious King. As we look to this text to see... Uh, clear picture of generosity. Let us, let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Father, as we come to this, your word, I ask that you would, uh, you would be the loudest voice in the room, in my heart and, and all of our hearts, that, that we, would, we would hear from you and see how you point us to Jesus. You radically reorient our lives around his generosity. Do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. And he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. 
This is the word of the Lord. Where have you experienced generosity? Where have you received generosity? When when our family lived in, in North Carolina, our, our neighborhood was one that didn't have the mailboxes out at the out of the road. The, the mailboxes were attached to the house. So we had this, this big metal box on our front porch. Mailman would make his way down the road, sort of old-fashioned like, walk up to the house, drop the mail in, in the box. And, and every time the mailman would come and, and drop the mail in the box, the, the lid on the mailbox would drop and metal on metal, you'd hear that clang, and it was your signal to go out and check the mail. One day I heard the clang. Went out on the front porch, and, and you know how it goes when you, when you get the mail. Uh, most of it is, is either bills or, or junk mail. In our house, that's, that's, that's my stack. Um, but, but occasionally, you get a letter, a handwritten, hand-addressed letter. And on this particular day, I got one of those letters. It was a card written, addressed by hand, no return address. Curious, I standing there on the front porch said, I'm going to open that one. I opened it, and, and there was this simple card. I opened the card, and, and written on the inside of the card were the words, You are loved, along with a $250 gift card for groceries. Immediately, I started looking around. Where's the mailman? Is he gone? Who's watching me open this? Who knows what's going on? See, it was 2008. And at that time, in 2008, our family was going through a drastic change in our financial situation. You see, before that, we at least liked to think of ourselves as the ones who would give those gift cards. But at that point, we were shutting down our business. I was making the move to seminary. I didn't know how we were going to make it through those years. Someone knew. I didn't want them to know. I, didn't, I knew all of that, and I, but I didn't want anybody else to know. But someone did, and, and they gave generously to their family or to our family. I resisted. I didn't know how to receive it. Not long after that, maybe even just a few days, I got a call from my uncle. He said, hey, James, I, I, I know you've been driving a company car. We've got this old Suburban, and we're about to give it, we're going to donate it to the church. I know you need something to drive. Could you use it? Again, I resisted. I didn't want to be the one who needed that generosity. I justified it to myself, saying, well, I don't know if I could afford the gas. And the Suburban, so I said, no, thank you. It only took a few days for me to realize the error of my ways, how I was letting my pride get in the way, and I actually really did need that vehicle. I called him back and said, thank you. I could use it after all. The Lord was... Time and time again, working in my heart. He was, he was graciously, generously providing for me, for our family, but, 
more than that, he was teaching me something. He was teaching me to receive. He was trying to build in me a heart of gratitude. And to do that, then and now, he was having to break through some external layers, some, some resistance that I was putting forward to all of this giving. We have to be broken in order to receive. Where have you experienced generosity? Not where have you been the bestower of generosity. Uh, you see, that fuels our own pride. I'm asking you a different question. Where have you received generosity and, and how did it feel? What was your response in the receiving? Generosity is a matter of the heart. This parable, in beautiful ways, exposes the heart. Starts out uh, with a lawyer coming to Jesus and asking what will prove to be the wrong question. Sounds a lot like a good lawyer joke. And while we all love a good lawyer joke, that's not what's going on here. You hear a lawyer, think to yourself, not in terms of a modern lawyer, but think in terms of a law expert, an expert in the law of God. And this law expert comes up to Jesus, and the text says, put him to the test. In case you're wondering, when the Bible tells you that someone came to put Jesus to the test, that ought to turn on the sirens in your mind. You shouldn't be the one to put Jesus to the test. <laughs> As we'll see, this testing is an attempt on, on this man's behalf to, to justify himself. He comes to Jesus with a question. It's not really a question because questions, they, they're born out of curiosity. This man isn't curious. He's way too self-focused for that. Now His question is a testing question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question that we'll see is flawed from the very beginning, but Jesus is patient, and he lets the whole story play out. He responds with a question of his own, too, in fact. What is written in the law? And how do you read it? The second question is meant to nuance the first. It's meant to draw something out of this man's heart. On the surface, he answers well. Love the Lord with everything you've got. And your neighbor is yourself. That's the way Jesus would answer that question. It's the way Jesus would summarize the law Himself. On the surface, it sounds like he is answering well, but his heart is revealed in verse 29 when it says he desired to justify himself. So we put another question before Jesus. The, the, the testing was, was a self-justification. This next question was, who is my neighbor? Now, what's the man really asking when he asks that question, who is my neighbor? He's saying, what is my obligation? What is the bare minimum that I need to do and still be legal? He's trying to minimize. 
to minimize the amount of love that he must expend and still fulfill the law. He's actually being stingy. Are you stingy? Of course not. Nobody here wants to be stingy. We don't like that word. We don't like what it it represents. We don't like that label. But what does it mean? Well, to be stingy is to be unwilling to, to give or to spend. Stingy, by definition, is the opposite of generosity. It means to be ungenerous. The ways in which we are stingy. We can be stingy with our money. We can be stingy with our our finances. But we can also be stingy with our time. We can be stingy with the love that we expend, that we share. We can be stingy with the gifting that God has given us and use it all on ourselves. But what's behind our stinginess? It's this mindset that I earned it, I get to keep it. I can't share any of my stuff, time, resources, gifting. Because if I do, I might not get any more. All of that, that mindset, it's a, you know, it's, it's a self-focus. They're all versions of self-focus that lead to, to obligation and minimization. That, that's what's going on. With his lawyer. That's why he is putting Jesus to the test. He's trying to justify his minimum effort. But Jesus turns the question around and says, The right question is not, Who is my neighbor? The right question is, How do I be a neighbor? Maybe. Jesus knows that if he answers this lawyer's question with a simple answer, the lawyer will will take it, will will twist it, will use it as one more opportunity to minimize what he needs to do. Maybe it's just that Jesus is the consummate teacher. So how does he respond to this question? Well, he tells a story. And as Jesus often does when he tells a story, there's a bit of a shock factor in this story. Now, Jesus is not trying to be a shock jock. He's not trying to shock just to shock. He's he's trying to shock us to, to peel back the layers, to get beyond the externals and to, and to look at the heart. We see the heart when we see the fruit that is born out of the heart. Jesus offers the story of the the Good Samaritan. It was a man. The man was traveling from, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Sort of a windy mountain path. Lots of turns, lots of nooks and crannies where, where the bad people can, can hide, can, can ambush. This man was going down to Jericho. We don't know why. We don't know anything about his origin. It ultimately doesn't matter. But Jesus presents him alone on this path. And the robbers attacked. They robbed, they they stripped him, they they beat him, and they left him for dead. It was a mess. 
you and I don't have many opportunities to come upon this type of scene. The first responders in our midst, they understand the messiness of this scene. They know what it's like to come upon a victim like this who has been beaten, bloodied, and left alone. It's not pretty. In fact, it's, it's messy. Jesus tells us the story of three men who come upon this messy scene. The first is, is a priest. Now, the, 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 the priests were the tribe of Levi. They were descendants of, of Aaron. They were, they were good religious Jews who led God's work in the temple and in the community. This priest would have been a law-abiding Jew. Uh, he, we don't know much more about him other than this. He looked upon the mess, and he walked to the other side of the road and kept going. second man was a Levite. Of the same tribe, but the Levites were not descendants of Aaron, so they themselves were not priests. They were the priest's assistants. But also, virtue of his role in society, this man probably also was a good law-abiding Jew. But what we know about him was that he looked upon this mess. He walked to the other side and, and kept going. The third man... He was a Samaritan. Samaritans, they were the mixed breeds who came out of the intermarriage between the Jews and the Assyrians. They were not Jews, and to the Jews, that then made them a mess. Yet he looked on the mess that day and acted. The Samaritan, he he gave of himself. He gave of his time. He, he got messy himself. He, he walked up on this, this beaten and bloodied man and he administered first aid. The, the wine would have been an antiseptic that he would have cleaned out the wound with. And, and then the oil would have been a, a soothing ointment to bring comfort the Samaritan picked the man up, which by definition meant that he actually had to touch him. He put him on his animal. It tells us the Samaritan was probably a man of means. He would have been riding up on the scene, but he said, no, I, you ride. I will walk. Took the man to an inn. He cared for him at a great cost to himself and, and generously offered more. I think it's easy for us to, to make rash judgments on, on what's going on in this whole scene, to make external judgments about the priest and the Levites. But let's be careful and let's dig a little bit deeper. We don't know their full story. This is a parable, okay? This is a story that Jesus uses to teach. And so we don't know in the context of this story all that was going on in the mind of the priest and the Levite, but, but we might take a guess. By virtue of who they were in the community, they were probably good people. And they were probably going to do good things. 
And their understanding of the law told them that because they were good people going to do good things, if they got involved in this mess, they would become ceremonially unclean, which would have rendered them unable to fulfill the whole purpose behind their journey. So what did these good people do? Well, they kept to their trajectory. In other words, they went out of their way to not go out of their way. They had a self-justification for not getting involved in the mess. Does that sound familiar to you? We all can be very good at self-justifying the reasons why we don't get involved. We self-justify our not giving of self. We do it with our money. We do it with our time. We do it with the love that we expend towards our neighbors. We justify self. The Samaritan, on the other hand, he was the one of all three who was not expected to respond. Yet this messy foreigner did. He got involved in in over-the-top ways. The Levite, the priest, of all three, they were the, they were the unbroken. But the unbroken, they stayed their course, while the unlikely altered his. What is Jesus teaching? Again, this is not a, a teaching about who. This is a teaching about how. And even bigger than, than about how to be a neighbor, it's a, it's a teaching about how to live generously. Do you remember what Jesus was asking at the beginning? What is written in the law and how did you hear it? That, that question about hearing is very much a call for us to hear. And in hearing, to respond. Did you hear? Twice, as I was reading this text, there was a call to do. Once in verse 28, Jesus said, do this, and you will live. Then then in the end, in verse 37, you go and do likewise. It's a call to do, to bear the fruit of generosity. But what will produce this fruit in our lives? What will produce generosity in our lives? Gratitude. A heart of gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of generosity. Do you remember my initial response that day on my front porch when I opened that generous letter? Who's watching? I was hesitant. I was hesitant to receive. Why? Why would I do that? You can answer for me. You don't have to answer for yourself. Why? Because that generosity is is for other people. Why do we think that? Pride. The Lord was working on me with that pride, and He still is. Then and now, He's 
trying to empty from me this false sense of of self-sufficiency and and build back in its place a heart of gratitude. Financial generosity is just one of the ways that he was and is building it. But but this call to generous living that we see in, in this parable the gospel as a whole, it goes far deeper than money. It gets to the heart. Remember we talked about stinginess? We earned it, we keep it. We can't share because we might not get any more. Yes, that's a, that's a self-focused mindset, but, but at its core, it's the orphan mentality. An orphan, maybe even rightly so, feels like they are all on their own. The orphan feels the need to fight and claw for everything they get. And when someone tries to give them something generously, they they resist because because their their past history has told them that when someone is going to be generous to them, they're going to owe them something in return. You don't have to be an actual orphan to live with an orphan mentality. Many of us live every day of our lives with this mindset that if it is to be, it is up to me. We're clinging to everything that we supposedly earn. So go back to the lawyer's initial question. The question that started this whole journey. What was it that he asked? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an orphan mentality question because you don't do anything to inherit. The inheritance is given freely to the heir. The inheritance is given freely to the children of the king. And that's why Jesus is turning the lawyer's question on its head. Because the real question is not how do I gain an inheritance? The real question is how do I live with the inheritance that has been freely given? It takes us to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand? In the gospel, we see that None are righteous. No, not one. And even apart from Christ, those good things we do, those supposedly righteous things we do, they are before the Lord nothing but filthy rags. That's what the gospel tells us. But the gospel also tells us that God has lavishly loved us from before the beginning of time. And because he has loved us, he sent his only son, the king of kings, to step down off of the throne and to become a pauper on our behalf. To walk this fallen earth and to live the righteous life that you and I could never live so that he could step into our place in death. That we of him might have life the the lawyer is asking how do i justify myself 
Jesus says you don't justify yourself, but you are justified by my grace alone, and you receive that justification through faith alone. You do not add anything. You cannot earn the inheritance that I freely give. We are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. And and in that justification, we receive the gift of adoption as sons. We move from the status of orphan to the status of an heir to the kingdom, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the gospel strips us of self-sufficiency. The gospel strips us of any need, desire, or temptation to justify ourselves. And the gospel fills us, not with self-sufficiency, but with Christ's sufficiency. It is His generous love that is meant to be received with a heart of gratitude. Yet we resist. Why do we resist? It's a deadly cocktail of fear and pride. Beginning of this week, I had the blessing of taking part in two rather surprising meetings. Began Monday night as I took a a couple of men from our community down to to Birmingham to, to go and participate in the citywide Young Life meeting. No, I hope that our church is helping to financially support the establishment of Young Life in Trustful. Took a, a few men down to, to Birmingham to, to witness this, this club meeting. And as, as we went, we, uh, we saw the teenagers coming, and the teenagers were, they were being teenagers. <laughs> they were laughing. They were, they were cutting up. They were, they were being wild. But to the knowing eye of one who had been there, Behind the laughing and the cutting up and the being wild was, was this day-late version of Halloween where they were wearing masks. And I'm not talking about the mask you buy in the store. I'm talking about the mask that you put on to, to play a game of posing. To try and make yourself acceptable to all those around you. In the meeting, there were games, there, were, there was music, but towards the end, they sat down for a talk from a leader. The leader started out by telling a very messy story about a mess. I'll leave it at that. It was a funny story meant to capture the kids. But, but then that leader connected the messy story to these kids and to their messiness, and you could have heard a pin drop. Because in that moment, the masks were off. The leader connected to them and their own struggles, their eating disorders, their boyfriend-girlfriend issues, their struggles over grades, their parents divorcing, their own struggles with pornography in private, and their very public sins offered at the altar of popularity. There's no denying it. There was no hiding. There was only messiness. And the promise of Jesus, a Savior who knowingly, willingly, lovingly entered into the mess. That was Monday night. Tuesday morning, Michael and I met with two men to to talk about AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and to 
learn more about their work and to consider how we could partner with them. But in the discussion, there was the beauty of brokenness embraced, of a community where the common denominator was struggle. You see, there are no masks in AA. Only need, only community. On one hand, there was the messiness of teenagers being teenagers. On the other hand, there was the brokenness of addiction. And the messiness and the brokenness are beautifully used by the Lord Jesus Christ to soften our hearts so that we might receive His free and gracious love. My time in this text uh, this week has been striking as I've spent time in this text and I've, I've pondered it and pondered my own response to generosity, my own sense of gratitude. I, I've had to wonder. Wonder about my responses in 2008 and wonder about my responses in 2021. And to wonder what those responses say about my own heart of gratitude. How about you? How about you? How do you respond to generosity freely given to you? This parable, it calls us to live generously. It calls us to do. There very clearly is a do in this text. To live generously. But in the doing, we would miss much if we assumed that that call to do was a call to be like the Samaritan. Don't be the Samaritan. You and I, we are not the Samaritan. You and I, we are the man along the side of the road. That man, he was stripped of his clothing and of his dignity. That man was beaten, bloodied, and in pain. That man was left all alone. In other words, that man was broken. Don't be the Samaritan. Be the broken one on the road. Because like my friends on Monday night and and Tuesday morning, when we are honest with our own brokenness, then and only then are we positioned to receive with glad and grateful hearts. Friends, gratitude, it produces generosity. Gratitude. And generous and generosity received moves us from living as if we are orphans to living as sons and daughters of the king. So I ask you, where have you been the beneficiary of generosity? If you were in Christ, you have received generosity on the cross. In Christ. Brothers and sisters, you and I have received an inheritance. Let us let go of the orphan mentality. Let us learn to live in light of the inheritance that has been freely given to us. Lord Jesus, you are a good and gracious king. Lord Jesus, you have purchased our pardon at great, innumerable cost to yourself. But you give of your life freely so that we might be counted among your family. 
It is the act of your love. Give us hearts to receive. Give us hearts to live in light of what you have made us to be. Co-heirs of the kingdom. Adopted sons and daughters. Give us hearts to live generously. In Christ's name, amen.